0: The McCartney MacAlphabet, an A to Z guide to the solo career of Sir Paul McCartney. Here we are, and you're listening to The McCartney MacAlphabet. I'm David F. I'm Clary Sadler. And this is our first episode of The Maca MacAlphabet. It's very exciting. It's good to be here.
1: Very excited, too. Maca. Yeah. <laughs> See, I, I've got a problem with the name already.
0: Oh, well, that's a good start. Yeah, we should McCartney
1: should've... McAlphabet. That's McCartney the McAlphabet. There yes. we go.
0: <laughs> it's a diction. It's a diction exercise in itself. <laughs> but yeah, so this is the first episode of a new podcast. Um, clearly about Paul McCartney. If you've come here for George Harrison, wrong place. Although we probably will refer to him occasionally, I imagine, because he's sort of he's quite key in his life, isn't he? Really, <laughs> I'd say. Um, but, yeah, the the Macca, the McCartney MacAlphabet. Um And what we're going to do, the idea of it, um, what is the idea of it, Clary? I'll, I'll hand over to you. <laughs> Let you tell them.
1: Well, basically, we're going to focus on not the whole body of work, although we might cover it. We could go through the alphabet, you know, two, three, 24 times.
0: 24 times. We might, we might just get to but it. see how many we get through. Yeah.
1: <laughs> and, yeah, basically work our way through the alphabet uh, we we might be looking at songs of said letter. So, for example, this week we are doing A. We're not starting at Z. We're not going to do anything, anything like that. There isn't
0: a great deal for Z. I think Z is going to be a very short episode. Yes. <laughs> Did Paul McCartney go to the zoo at any point? We'll find out.
1: Yes. Yeah, so we might. Yeah, we might be focusing on a song with that letter or an album. Or possibly even a theme
0: yeah or a musician maybe someone like elvis costello someone who's worked with Macca, that sort of thing we are just gonna and sometimes there might be more episodes for one letter there might be no episodes for other letters who knows we're just gonna see which way it goes really and because we're very conscious as well there's a very specific uh maca uh podcast uh, take it away uh which has covered the whole of his career fantastically um so that's been done so that we can't do that that would just be sort of some sort of Copyright thing, I think. Whether it be a fight, I don't know. <laughs> Luckily, you know, they were based in the US, so we're probably vaguely safe. But yeah, but we just thought we'd focus in on little bits here and there and um, see what comes out of it, really. That's the plan.
1: But it's not all going to be positive. We are big fans, but yeah. we are going to be discussing, you know, the the best and the worst of as well. Yeah, we... we might even be fighting the corner of, of songs like... For example, Biker like an icon. Sorry if you love it, but
0: spies like us. That one, I mean, mm. oh, I'm, yeah, that one. That one disturbs me in many ways. Um, <laughs> so we, yeah, we're not going to, as you say, we're not going to be. And I think like any Maca fan, or like any fan of anything. I mean, he's a human being, and he and he's done some incredible things. You know, particularly in those first seven years of his career in the Beatles um, that and also because he's just someone who's just kept going forever and ever which is certainly a thing I think that both of us look up to there's going to be sort of good stuff and and more average stuff all kinds of things and you know when you're a Maca fan I think like anything you take the rough with the smooth really don't you I mean Mm. particularly there's a thing we'll talk about later a video relating to one of the songs where it's like there are certain things you wouldn't show your friends who aren't McCartney fans. You wouldn't use as the oh, listen to Temporary Secretary. You'll love that one. I mean, some people do, but um, yeah. but yeah, it, it's it's you do have to sort of you know factor in the sort of more cheesy moments, the more you know with the with the great stuff. So, but yeah, we're not gonna we're not treating him like an icon, like a biker, like an icon. <laughs> we're treating him like a like a like a McCartney, which he is, I believe. He is. So um, I mean, well, before we start, and as I say, today uh, we're focusing on A, uh, and we uh, we've chosen six songs beginning with the letter A to uh, work our way through. There are more, um, but that's the sort of way we thought we'd start. It's sort of an easy way in. But before we do that, I mean, the sort of, I mean, it's probably an obvious question, really. But how did how did you first find Paul McCartney? What was the thing that led you to him?
1: I'd probably say the honest answer would be my dad. He was a massive beatles fan right yeah so my dad i'm trying to think now he was born in 1946
0: so S- same year as my dad Funny enough i
1: guess yeah yeah would have been you know um that would have i mean yeah his style you know even had sort of the beetle cut and right. yeah very very um very big into the beatles so i just remember you know long car journeys and the beatles just being on yeah yeah you know constantly really it would be a little bit of an argument like between my mother and my father she hmm. she didn't mind the Beatles but she would sort of be wanting Tina Turner on and you know no disrespect to Tina I, no. I do like a bit of Tina particularly in the uh in the 60s yeah but yeah so it would be I always preferred it when when the Beatles came on and not a big fan of I Steamy guess...
0: Windows then are you you're not so not so into that one <laughs>
1: I don't mind it. P- prefer yeah. private dancer probably.
0: <laughs> dancer for money any old music would do. Yeah.
1: <laughs> <laughs> and yeah, I guess as a kid I probably you know, John was always painted as this the cooler one, wasn't he? Yeah. yeah. You know, I probably had the 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 shades, you know, the round glasses mm-hmm. and I I maybe pr- thought that I preferred John just because some of the songs that I liked mm in my life, that sort of thing. However, um, discovering Paul as a solo artist, so my dad quite liked Wings, probably not as much, but I think that was more to do with the fact that, you know, the older he got, Mm. something happens with some middle-aged people, isn't it? They suddenly (laughs) just don't listen to music anymore. Yeah. You know, my mum would have had records or, you know, tapes on in the house all the time. Not anymore, Mm. though, that's kind of... Really? That's something that stopped.
0: <laughs> um, Is it when when this, the hearing goes gradually, they sort of just yeah, stop
1: maybe. listening to things. <laughs> maybe. And um, so, yeah, I didn't really know much about him as a solo artist other than the the huge hits. Um, and then probably getting onto him and his solo career and the wing stuff would be through yourself, just chats. We went yeah. to drama school together, so chats around college. Yeah, yeah. And then in more recent years, you know, chats on Twitter, and you'd point me in the direction of you know some, you know, maybe Japanese releases that I wouldn't have heard or <laughs> wouldn't have been on on any of the albums, and, yeah. and kind of more obscure stuff. So maybe yeah, not
0: Frozen can... Jap though. We won't talk about Frozen Jap. That song no. from McCartney too, which <laughs> questionable on many levels, I'd say. But
1: <laughs> absolutely. Yeah. Save that one for the F's, shall we? Yes. <laughs> And what about you then, David? When did you first delve into the, the, the McCartney body of work?
0: Well, it's it's, I mean, it's funny you should say about like um, uh, with your dad, it was kind of the opposite with my dad initially because I remember a specific occasion uh, where um, he decided he was going to buy me as a present um, a, an album because he, t- he got those into music and we were going outside uh, WH Smith's and I, it was just around this time because I'd... Um, one of my uh, mum's friends, a sort of older woman who used to look after me occasionally, she'd come round to our house one time to babysit me um, and she was in her 80s and I thought, I better put something on that would you know, mean something to her. So I looked through my parents' record collection and there was Sergeant Pepper there and I looked through it and I saw um, with a little help from my friends and I thought, oh, you know, old, old ladies are like that, completely misjudging, you know, the, her age range and everything. <laughs> so I put that on and we listened to it and then after that i listened to the whole album and that was the thing that really got me into the beatles um but there was a specific time when my dad was going to buy me an album he said well you know what what would you fancy and i said to him well you know i quite i quite like the beatles actually And he was like no you don't dave you like the shadows it's the shadows you like we're going in there into (laughs) smith's and he bought me a double album a double cassette of the best of the shadows which i would argue you could probably whittle that down to about half a half a side But it was like, I never really got, I never understood it because clearly he wanted the album, but for some reason I was like a weird alibi. I don't really know why. Um, You know, because you can buy it. But anyway, but yeah, so that, so that he, but then eventually he did understand the the Beatles thing. He was, because he was an artist as well, and he drew a picture of John and he wanted to do a painting of Paul. And I sort of brought him around to it. But though I do remember another occasion when we were listening to uh, Revolver in the car and dr robert was on and he went oh, i sort of rubbish this it's like this is revolver this is, is no, rubbish and and also there was one time uh, when we were going on holiday somewhere um and it was a long journey like you were saying like listening to music and stuff and i asked if you could put a tape on for me and it was um, venus and mars and magneto and Titanium man was titania? magneto and titanium man was on <laughs> and, he, and he went oh, i said had to rubbish this so it was a weird situation where it was music from his era and he was telling me off because it was no good. And it's like, but surely yeah. they're supposed to be, Oh, I don't know. There's supposed to be a mismatch where, you know, you like this and I don't, but yeah. So that was sort of the thing, really. It was listening to Sergeant Pepper. And then also I think like you, I sort of fell on John initially and I really liked, and I still really like the idea. And cause we're both songwriters as well. The idea of honesty and John writes very much from his heart um, uh, mm. and his solo career as well. Um, but I think part of it was the fact that Paul was still alive so when I you know when we were growing up um I'm you know I was born in 81 obviously John died in 1980 um the fact that Macca was still going and still doing things meant that because I was so into the Beatles and I you know sort of delved into it so much and bought all of their records and then I sort of started to go to him because he was still doing stuff um and then went to see him in I think 93 it was and yeah that was sort of the reason I suppose but yeah, I think over time, I don't know. I mean, Macca gets a lot of stick, as we know, and we're going to talk about that a lot here, clearly. But I don't know, something about, I mean, his musicality grabbed me straight away. I mean, he. you could argue, and this is the sort of thing where probably people would probably, you know, complain, but when it comes to the musicians in the Beatles, McCartney's the most sort of versatile, the most naturally sort of gifted with musicality. John was more about maybe emotion and, and, and sort of grit.
1: Yeah. And
0: that, that you know, I, I, I wanted to be a bass player. It's a rare thing. You know, I wanted to be a bass player and it was because of how great he was on the bass and still is. Um, so, yeah, I suppose that was the reason. Uh, and that was, you know, it started when I was about 10 and I'm still here at 40 this year, still wasting money on him, <laughs> still buying <laughs> special editions of albums I already have four or five times. You know, um, <laughs> which I might resent when it gets to some of them. You know, maybe McCartney too. Not so sure, but we'll, we'll get to that as well. We've already mentioned Frozen Japs, so <laughs> but there we go.
1: Yeah, and it's interesting that you mention, you know, Paul's, Paul. Me and Paul were on first name terms. You know,
0: <laughs> you're one of the few that calls him James because <laughs> it's that's a real thing right, yeah. yeah I always wondered if you were behind him and you shouted James whether he'd turn around but probably would he
1: not. yeah would he turn yeah <laughs> yeah no but that you mentioned his musicality because you know for all the I remember in school you know learning guitar and there were probably a few kids in my year that tried and struggled and the guitar teacher <laughs> may have said oh learn the bass that you know that's easy <laughs> right. And then you sort of watch or listen to McCartney and and try and you know pick up one of those bass lines and yeah yeah even something like you know thinking about bass lines and again that probably be a, a whole episode yeah yeah definitely <laughs> coming up but um yeah. you know just to make um you know that the mo- the standout feature of an otherwise simple song
0: mm.
1: yeah it never fails to never ceases to amaze me. That he is so bloody talented.
0: <laughs> <laughs> exactly, and that's and that's something that I yeah it continues to surprise me. And I mean his bass when it's good, it, like it, you know it will tell a story. It will feature in a song. I mean a very mm. famous one, obviously, is something. Um, yeah. But even actually one of the ones we talk about, the first one we're going to talk about today, the the bass can like it's like a counter melody, but it it can really give a sto- a different story, a different drive to it. It makes a part of the the sort of. I don't know the different register of the song really stand out to you and obviously around the time of Sgt Pepper mm. and onwards he's just you know just a, a fantastically fluid bass player um and I think a lot of the Wings stuff there's some really great bass stuff when you've got the old Rickenbacker out you know and we're, we're bound to mm. talk about that but I and this is the thing about the McCartney thing and over time I I think the the, the solo years even though it's been like I don't know what 50 years or whatever it's been now it kind of gets a lot less stage time, despite the fact that he's been doing it longer than he did the Beatles. And, you know, so I mean, with the way press works, everything is always, you know, the best thing he's done since the Beatles or the most like Sergeant Pepper or whatever it might be, um, say. And or like Band on the Runs, the other one they obviously re- reference. And yeah. it just does a disservice to so many of the like, like further corners of his, of his career and the things he does and still does. And I mean, he's been on a bit of a sort of purple period um, for the last like 20 years, I'd say. Um, but yet it, and I remember having an argument with a friend of mine, actually, um, who's a musician and, him saying something along the lines of it was after the Olympics thing, and we'll probably talk about that as well. And Maca closed the Olympics, but I mean to get to cut mm. to the chase of it, you know, he was sort of saying, well, you know, he's, he's not really done anything of any worth for years. You're just a, you know a super fan. You don't, you know, and it's like, well, no, actually, there's plenty of it. I don't think is good, but if you actually look at what he's released in the last twenty years, and if you look at all the sort of reputable uh, press outlets like Rolling Stone or The Guardian or whatever it might be, and I'm not a big one for reviews, but He's, they, they've all been saying great things, you know, f- and about Chaos and Creation or or about McCartney Three, which has just come out, you know, uh, and it just keeps going. So uh, and yeah, I just think that's why doing something like this will be good because we can help shine a light on all those little corners that you might not know about, definitely, um, and 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 see what else is there. Right? Because the Beatles are great; we're bound to refer to it many, many times. But McCartney's great as well, and he and you know, that should be celebrated, I think. So that's our intention.
1: (laughs) Definitely. And I I think, think. yeah, I mean, I'm constantly, you know, trying to tell people about, for example, uh, spoilers, (laughs) but Mm. uh, This Never Happened, This Never Happened Before is probably my favourite McCartney song song. of all time. Mm. So I just tell anyone about it that will listen or try and get them to listen and you know, the amount of people that have... Well, I think I watched the film, uh, bizarrely, I first came across that song before I came across the album, uh, Chaos and Creation in the Backyard, watching that awful um, Keanu Reeves and Sandra Bullock film. Was it The Lake House? The Lake House, pu- the lake House and, yeah. and that song features in it, they the dance in the middle of the song, and then I think right. it plays at the end. Yeah. And I think I watched it possibly even with my mum... Right. And we were both like, this song is amazing. And I said, well, that sounds like the Beatles, but there's no way they'd done a song that yeah. we wouldn't know. <laughs> yeah, so <laughs> it, it must be Paul McCartney then. And I mm. you know, looked it up, and it was. And I just remember thinking, wow, that's fantastic. Like, really mm. shocked that it was such a recent song. Mm. 2005 still feels very recent yeah. to me. But I suppose in relation to his body of work, that is, mm. you know, kind of falling into the latter part of the career absolutely yeah. or you know later days mm. um and i played it in work i do um sort of you know music therapy um inclusive art sessions and um, one of the parents of the the child that i was uh playing it to and jamming along with said afterwards well wow, that is a beautiful song did you write that <laughs> so tempted yes. to say yes i did <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> you know but you know if you'd kind of gone into it saying this is a Is this a Paul McCartney song? Um, You can imagine a lot of people would already form an opinion that they liked it or disliked it or that it was cheesy or whatever, or overly sentimental before you'd even got, you know, the first chord out.
0: And that's a really good example, that song, of how much feeling that McCartney puts into a song. Um, Mm -hmm. And, yeah, we'll talk about all the reason why people think what they think about him and whether it relates to, you know, what happened when the Beatles split up. I'm sure across this podcast because we've got a lot of stuff to get through, but um, mm-hmm. but yeah, it's it's a cliche. It's the standard thing. People like to put people in boxes, not literally. That's not <laughs> un, un, unless they're dead, but you know. Um, but yeah, and so it's very easy to say that McCartney's a sentimental one, and that's and and in fact, I think it was Linda. There was an interview with Linda where she said about you know how they paint John to be the aggressive one, or you know, and Paul to be that, and she said, well, they were both. Two, they both did the same thing two sides of the same coin that you know paul could be just mm. as aggressive or whatever it's just you know and obviously because john died the way he did um that adds a, a whole different level he's, he's been iconicized i mean for me even before i was born you know he was mm. he was iconicized as this thing it's it's much easier in a way to be the person who lives fast and dies young than the one who you know keeps going and stays the course and obviously that wasn't his choice yeah. but that's the way it goes and i think that's what happens to mccartney um and admittedly sometimes he dances with robots and that could be a bit questionable but we'll talk about <laughs> that later believe it or not <laughs> <laughs> but i suppose without further ado we better get in and do this thing because yeah. we've got a, yeah, got, a letter, got a lot of letters to get through which is easy to say. <laughs> um so yeah let's start with a a, B, C, D, A I don't know what we do when we get past D because that's not really going to work as a sting anymore. It's, it's just, you know, we'll have to think something. I don't know. But yeah, <laughs> so we're starting with A. We've got uh, six songs that involve the letter A, normally at the beginning. Uh, and the first one, I believe, is yours, uh, Another Day. Every day she takes a morning bath, she her Wraps a dollar around her as she's
2: heading for the bed chair, it's just another day, slipping into stockings, stepping into shoes, dipping in the pocket of her raincoat, it's just another day, at the office where the papers grow, she takes a break.
1: Yes, another day, so this the first uh, post-Beatles solo record that we heard from Paul McCartney. Single, yeah, certainly. For a single, yeah. So yeah, a standalone single from the Ram era. I didn't realize until recently because I obviously yeah. have a, you know, a 1993 reissue or whatever, but um <laughs> yeah. Yeah, so I mean, is is that a good move? Was it what what was that? What, well, we'll get to that in a minute, but um written by Macca with a writing credit from Linda. Yeah. Um, what do we think that that was a legitimate... I know there was sort of a, yeah. um, you know, the, there was logistical the thing, things.
0: There? Yeah, with how the Beatles' money was all frozen because of the court case yeah. that was going on. And the suggestion, yeah, that Linda didn't write with him. But, I, th- I mean, she did. She did. And I yeah. think it's one of those things where you say, you know, I mean... Just being there as part of the songwriting process and making a small suggestion, that's still writing with it. And when you look at any of the footage of them in uh, yeah. you know, The Farm very early on in the 70s, they're clearly uh, doing something together. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And Ram as a whole album, obviously, was, I mean, it's the only one that's credited to Paul and Linda. Um, yeah. Although it's interesting, and, and like with this song for me, because probably a bit like you, I had all the Beatles stuff, learnt all that sort of career and the, the sort of arc of it. And then with the Macca stuff, I think I started with Wings' Greatest and All the Best, yeah. and this was on there. And initially, you don't really know where it fits in the story. But I mean, yeah. it's interesting as well that it's on Wings' Greatest, even though it's not technically a Wings song. So yeah, I know, yeah, yeah. It's controversial. Um, <laughs> but yeah, no, I mean, I think I tell you what I found interesting about this song is because it's the first single, and it's I mean, he had an album before this, McCartney. Um, yeah. And apparently, I don't know if you saw this, but I read that it was the first song they recorded on Ram as well. Apparently, Mm. um, but when you listen to it, they've already got the sound together, you know, it's it sounds like a thing that's been going on for years, the way their voices fit together. The you know, and I know they were trying very much to create a sound that was different from the Beatles, but I think if you didn't know that it was the first single and also the first song they recorded on Ram, which is so like, Paul and Linda mm. heavy, you go, well, really? I mean, that's the first... Because it's just, it's like a complete thing from the off. I don't, you know, it's mm. it sounds like a thing, but it sounds like what you get, what you think a lot of Paul's solo stuff sounds like, which is the Paul-Linda, normally with yeah. Denny thing, you know, that sound. And, and there it was. That very distinctive,
1: single. that very mm. distinctive sound that for all the, you know, criticism that yeah. Linda has had over the years for her vocals, and there's been times that they've perhaps grated with me, maybe more on solo efforts where she's kind of sang the lead. (laughs) Cook cook of the Um, House is another
0: one that we'll refer to later that is, yeah, a bit questionable.
1: (laughs) But I think, I mean, their vocal blend in this song in particular, but throughout Ram, well, Mm. throughout the whole of the wing stuff as well, is pretty flawless to me. (laughs) I think she brings so much to it and... You know, and you know, to say she can't sing—I mean, she's in—in in another day, she's reaching some pretty high notes there.
0: Yeah, yeah. And there's also the story, isn't there? That she's on "Let It Be." I don't know if you're aware of that. There's a note <laughs> I was just in the harmonies. To say. Well, yes, you're really sorry. Yeah. We're going to do a lot yes. of this. We're going to do a lot
1: of.
0: <laughs> it's like chuking out anecdote. The other one, isn't it, really?
1: <laughs> yeah, because there's a there's that um, I mean there's that YouTube clip where it's supposedly her. Um, oh is that hey jude actually her voice her vocals um isolated yeah Yeah. isolated and you know it's pretty out of tune i don't know if that is accurate or if someone has messed around with that but um i think give her adeus though she was an integral part of creating that that wing sound i don't know technically like you said this this ram era Mm. we'll call it the ram era and another day isn't technically wings but um Sort of almost is. Yeah,
0: near as <laughs> damn it, I'd say. They've got a Denny in the yeah. band, just not Denny Lane. Denny Sywise, exactly, yeah.
1: exactly, yeah. I mean, it's
0: Denny. I've never met a Denny, so I don't know how they managed to get two Denny's in one band. I
1: know. I was way, thinking that. Every time I, I hear the name, I, and yeah. What's I, both of them, them I... What's D- Daniel. I
0: don't know. D- 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 Daniel. <laughs> I just
1: don't really Daniel.
0: Know. how I mean, how do, you, how do you feel about the song as it goes? How does it sort of land for you?
1: Well... Out of the, I guess, out of the Ram era stuff, that is up there mm. with my favourite. It isn't my favourite, but it's up there. It's, yeah, it's got all the right ingredients for me. And it, I, interestingly, while doing this research, I found out that it was previewed during the Let It Be sessions, which yeah, I yeah. didn't realise, you know, another one of those ones that was mm. floating around yeah, during yeah. The Beatles or at, you know, as they were at the, the height of the tension... Um, you know, makes you wonder, is that one that was previewed to them that was just dismissed? Like, uh, was it mm. Teddy Boy that happened with as well? Or Junk, was it?
0: Yeah, Junk Junk was from, well, it was put forward for the White Album. But um, yeah, that's right. there's also a recording of him playing backseats of My Car during the Let It Be sessions. Um, and he's just like sort of marking out the vocal as he plays it. Um, and I think it's just yeah. an example of just how many songs and good songs they had going. Mm. I mean, even if you consider like Let It Be came out after Abbey Road when it was recorded before, the idea that you'd have the song Let It Be and you'd go, no, we won't put that out yet. Because if I wrote Let It <laughs> Be, I would be releasing it tomorrow. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? It's yeah. Just, but yeah, it, it would, it's one of those songs you could see fitting in. Maybe they didn't choose it because it's a bit sort of like Two of Us in the sense of it's mm. got the sort of, you know, um, I don't know really. But I mean, another thing I found out looking up that if you go to the website... The Paul McCartney Project, which we'll, we'll give mm. the um, address um, on Twitter and the like. Um, but it often tells you how old he was when he wrote them. And he was 27 yeah. when he wrote this one. that's
1: just, that is, wow. I know. <laughs> and it's
0: and it's a solo one as well. So you go, that's insane, isn't it? 20, 27. Wow. <laughs> oh, I mean, you know, I barely knew how to do it on my own, I was going to say trousers <laughs> then, but shoes at, at 27. You know, it's just, it's just... I mean, for God's sake, <laughs> that's just irritating, isn't it? Um, but I don't know if you read as well the thing that um, Denny Sywell, who was the drummer on the session, said, where he described it as Eleanor Rigby in New York City, was what he. Yeah, I love
1: that. I love that because I mean that's what I like about it. It's one of those um, what like would you call a fictional story kind of song that yeah, he's yeah. You know, very much trademark Paul, isn't it? Sort of mm. like the the Penny Lane, um, yeah. you know, like you say Eleanor Rigby thing. I like that. I, I like when he sort of takes that approach, and I—I I don't know. I yeah. think it gives it a nice because um, it's still actually there is emotion in it. I love you know the section. Um, uh, I can't think of the lyrics now. See, um, they don't stand him up, but he comes. Oh and yeah. He stays. yeah, yeah. So yeah. so sad, so sad. Sometimes you feel so sad that section. But then going into ah, "Stay," don't stand her up. Those mm. those harmonies mm. and what is happening vocally there just yeah. to me it's like a perfect um, negative and positive at the same time it's like
0: yeah. I don't know
1: it just gives me tingles on the back of the neck oh, sad. so sad.
0: It's very natural, and- isn't it? I think it, it it's, I mean, some of his uh, story songs, and there's one we're talking about later, are a bit more contrived, but I think this just sits very easily and the story follows. And I also thought I found it quite interesting when you look, listen to his vocals, because considering it was recorded during Ram, where everything, you know, there's his, his voice is probably at his most versatile on that album. Mm-hmm. But on this song, he actually sounds a little bit sort of depressed, I think. It's not quite really yeah. sort of... Um, Pushed mm. through, which I, and I don't and and I don't know whether that helps it along, maybe perhaps, but it's yeah. yeah. I, I, and as soon as I heard that quote, which I heard before, you, I, I, in fact, I made a note about. It reminds me a bit how people see we can work it out. There's always the cliche, we can work mm. it out. They say, yeah. you know, and John says, oh, when we wrote it, Paul had the you know the really positive bit, and then I came up mm. with the life is very short bit. But if you actually listen to the words of we can work it out it's a there's an argument you know it's, it's tense it's tense before you even get to the john bit and i think that's the same with this yeah song. initially you hear it and you go oh it's a it's, you know, nice sort of story pretty music but it's mm. quite a sort of i mean it's not as bleak as eleanor rigby um but it's got that sort of it's a, a woman stuck in a routine isn't it and waiting for someone to you know the, the whatever it is the man to come and take her away from it um yeah but, and and yeah I, I think it does that really naturally and that's what i mean and everything about the band as well if you consider it's the first song they recorded on that album it just sounds very natural it sounds like something that's been going on for ages you know it's just, it's a hell of a song to throw out as the first <laughs> song mm. from that thing you know it's, it's and yeah i also wonder why he, it took him so long to release a single as well because he put mccartney out of the album mm. in 1970 um and I think this came out the single in seventy one, I think. But the oh, idea yeah, that yeah, February
1: seventy one.
0: But yeah, the idea that it took him so long to release an actual solo single, particularly when he had maybe I'm amazed in the bag mm-hmm. and every night, was that a, a thing to do with nerves? You know, was it like a tentative yeah. thing? And and this is and like I say, to be his first single, you would think if you didn't know this was a good few years in really to his solo career and I mean if you consider yeah. when you wrote Eleanor Rigby as well what well, if this was 1970 he wrote this and that was um 66 so he would have been 26 25 24 23 <laughs> oh god's sake we need to get our finger out really <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah I mean so the b-side was a woman away? why yes and like you say I mean why were they not included on Ram or did mm. he just want to have a standalone sing- single yeah. Um I know they I know they appear on the 1993 reissues and it has bonus tracks aren't they Yeah and also um, on
0: the the more recent uh, one as well yeah, I
1: think Yeah Yeah Um yeah I don't know I mean in, in my opinion another day is like a particularly strong point of the Ram era you know mm. it Yeah, yeah. Like I say it's not it's not my favorite off that album but it's pretty close I it's one I regularly come back to I regularly put on oh, Yeah. Um,
0: would the album have been more successful, do you think, or more instantly um, grasped by people if it had been on it? I don't know. It's one of those things. But I
1: think so. I mean, it was a hit, wasn't it? I've got that Yeah, it got somewhere. to number two, yeah. I think,
0: number two, number five. Two in five, the UK. And, yeah. So it was a yeah. hit. And, and, yeah, so I don't know. And maybe it was – I think it's probably keeping to that thing that they did with the Beatles where the singles weren't, mostly weren't on the albums, I guess. At mm. that time, people's sort of expectation, I think, of artists was so much more. I mean, the very idea yeah. he's even fitted what he's done before the age of 27 is utterly ridiculous, really. But, yeah, I, I, it was like not selling people short, I guess. Um, but, yeah, I guess it's, in many ways, I think it's the most accessible song from the Ram era. So maybe it would it is. have helped it. I don't know. but
1: It's very, um, yeah, it's kind of, you know, acoustic-driven melody, but then you got this, like, really upbeat, poppy bass line. I don't know. Yeah. And there's like... Horse clippity clops sort of kind of sounds in the background. I <laughs> yes. don't know, even that yes. just kind of. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I like it sounds, that. It sounds just... a bit
0: like um, I will, you know, when they've got all the little sort of woodblock stuff going on in the background. Mm,
1: yeah. yeah, you know, and I really, yeah, just, I like how poppy and like, like you say, accessible it is, yeah. but also still being interesting enough that you mm. can kind of go, oh, yeah, it, it's McCartney from yeah. the Beatles who is still. As good, you know, he's still got it. Uh, that's kind of mm. what I feel when I hear the whole of Ram, really, um, is you can just see that that magic still throughout. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, and the, guita- uh, the guitar licks. And I thought... McCartney playing lead guitar is it on on the track is it um, on this uh, one?
0: I, they they did have another guy didn't they? Spinoza isn't it? Um, Spinoza, yeah. But you yeah. know
1: those little licks throughout. Uh, they just had a nice bit of uh, magic to it as well.
0: And I think it's Macca on the twelve string. There's some really nice twelve yeah. string stuff in there as well. Mm. And I mean, and the bass as well. I think particularly for me, the ending of it is like the last two bars. The thing the bass does, sort mm. of bringing it to a close, and it's just great. It's just you know, it's, it's really good playing. You know, there's so much going on in that song. But then, of course, the other thing we should probably mention is, um, I mean, because this was in peak, John and Paul not getting on. This song is obviously I was just quoted, about
1: to say, yeah, in, yeah. in, the, in the attack. In, yeah, um, in how do you sleep? How do you sleep? That's right.
0: Which, which I listened to again today. And I've, I mean, there's probably no point in saying to people who know, you know everyone listening to this is going to know what How Do You Sleep is. But obviously it's yes, the sort of yeah. message that John released in response because he perceived there to be digs, which there were, I think, in Ram and in other stuff as well. But uh, yeah, yeah, I listened to "How Do You Sleep?" again today, and it is uh, for one of a better word. It's fucking horrible, really. It's a really it is bitter, yeah. nasty. Uh, uh, just, I mean, it's a good song, and it's got a do- but it's just it is, yeah. really. Um, I don't know. I, I mean, I've I've read I've read some quotes. I don't know if you've sort of seen it, but like John talks about when people asked him about it, and he said that it was actually about him. He said it's more about me mm. than anyone else. And funnily enough, when I listened to it t- today. That was the first time when I sort of grasped that. And I thought, yeah, it is. I don't know if it's what he intended, but it shows you the place that he was in at that point. Do you know what I mean? Mm, it's like, and yeah. it, I I think it's, I mean, it's brutal. I think you, it's one of those things you accept in the story. You know, this is what happened. But yeah. it's a real brutal attack on a friend. And I know there was a lot going on, but it is really nasty. And to the eye, you know, it, yeah. And, and, and the it's fact not,
1: that- It's it, yeah, it was so publicly so, and mm, it yeah. wasn't even... You know that you didn't have to read too deeply into no. that. It was fairly obvious, and it That's yeah it. it does show John up to be very petty. And yeah. even if it was about himself, you just kind of think, God, what was happened to you? You know, know. you know. I mean, what?
0: imagine if I like wrote a song like that about you. I mean, <laughs> I mean, how you would <laughs> deal with that? And also, there's a funny thing I noticed because they've recently uh, brought out another. I mean, there's various, obviously, greatest hits things with John, but there's another one. Uh, I forget what it's called now. Uh, relatively recently, where they remixed them all, they call them the ultimate mixes. I don't know what else they're going to release after that. But um, <laughs> I noticed that on the greatest hits album, they put that on, and I thought, mm. really, is that? Do you, yeah. Because since and as at the point we've got to now, you know, and obviously Macra himself is always mostly very positive about John, and he talks about how things got better in 1980, you know, and talking about baking yeah. bread and stuff over the phone. Not literally, not like baking the bread at the same time talking to each other. But, um, but yeah, I, I, I start going, well, hang on a minute, because I know like obviously the Beatles as a, as, a, as a business will promote all this stuff. They'll share it on their own social media. But the idea that that song was chosen and put in when there are so many others, I can't help but feel. And also combined with some of the, the quotes you get from Yoko about Paul more mm. recently, I just think, was that really, I don't know, was that necessary? It's on Imagine, we know it's there, but do you yeah. really need to Do you really need to throw more you don't need to remind. fuel
1: into Yeah, you don't need to yeah. remind people about that. It's, no, it's exactly. There. It's,
0: it's just yeah. throwing more fuel into the, the John was great, Paul was mm. not, you know. And obviously the line in the song where it says, you know, whatever it is about, the only thing you've done was yesterday and since yeah. you've gone, you're just another day. And I know there's a rumour that, because, um, what's his name, Alan Klein, the horrible... Uh, Manager was there at the time, and because George plays on it, and I think Ringo was going to play on it, but he actually had a go at John. Apparently, he said, "We're not," you know, left the studio. Yeah, yeah. But originally, yeah. I think the line was going to be, "And you probably ripped off that fucker anyway, or something." And that was something mm. where someone stepped in and said, "Well, you can't say that because that's a legal thing." Yeah, but yeah, I mean, to be fair, if <laughs> if you're saying you know that it's Muzak and you know, and, and since I've gone in just another day, I mean, he didn't really pick. He didn't pick like Bitbop or something, did he? He didn't pick something bad (laughs) he chose a song that actually shows paul to be very good so you know
1: (laughs) yeah and kind of coming back to linda again Mm. just interestingly i've I've probably never sung her praises so much as i have just while re-listening you know to ram and to this song Mm. and you kind of think yeah and i think Yes, she writes, She should have a a writing credit because I mean apparently she came up with her own harmonies and you know, mm. she you can get a production credit just by being in the room and saying, I, I don't yeah. want it to sound like that. I want it to sound a bit more like, you know, Justin yeah, Timberlake we, or whatever. We, which then... one of
0: the Spice Girls plays bass, you know, it's that sort of yeah. question. I don't I don't really believe they went, Yeah, I came up with that riff, you know. Yeah, yes.
1: exactly. And yeah, I got I found a little quote from Macker here that was in Rolling Stone. Yeah. He said, uh Yeah, Lou Grade suddenly saw his songwriting concessions. This is after he'd um, credited uh, the whole of RAM to Mr. and Mrs. McCartney. (laughs) He paid loads of money to get hold of John and I then suddenly saw that I was now claiming I was writing half of my stuff with Linda. And that if I was writing half of it with her, she was entitled to a pure half of it. No matter whether she was recognized as a songwriter or not, she was entitled to it. And then Paul goes on to say, I didn't think it was important. I thought whoever I worked with, no matter what the method of collaboration was, that person, if they did help me on the song, should have a portion of the song for helping me. Yeah. You know, and I I, I can't imagine in retrospect him lying about that.
0: No, (laughs) no, exactly. And and it's like, it shows you the state that things were in with the Beatles at that time, Mm. that they were even having to prove this thing. And obviously it's not so much the Beatles there as the people who, you know, the publishing yeah. the company. But yeah, I mean, it, it's, you know, five years before that, you would never question. And it's not like the Beatles themselves were trained musicians and, and you know, Linda's all over it. It's not even like she doesn't appear on the on the record. So you might more go, well, maybe she's not a part of it. She's clearly mm. a big active part of the record. And I think also, as Paul has sort of said a lot about more recently, uh, we have her to thank for the fact that he even had... A musical career at that point, because she was the one that was encouraging him when he was yeah, in the midst yeah. of depression and and you know lost the three best friends he'd ever had and didn't know if he could do it on his own. So you know she was obviously there as moral support. And only the two people who were in the room when they wrote it know who wrote it. So and also Lennon exactly. McCartney, half of it wasn't necessarily written by both of them anyway. So shut up, Lute. Yeah. Come here. <laughs> He's dead, I believe. Um, and But yeah, you know, God, it's just... I mean, if it was, a, a you know, a business move, quite a shrewd one of clearing some money, but at the same time, you know, like I say, it's she's all over the record. Yeah. I don't know. I don't know. What can you say?
1: So just finishing off with another day then, I think i chatted a bit about the story behind it and the hmm. lyrics. I think musical highlights for me, I mean, I've already mentioned that, that section where it just kind of, lift you up while breaking your heart at the same time. Mm. I quite like that it's got that, you know, you can almost imagine it was two separate songs fused together. Yeah, yeah. And while I don't think it sort of reaches the dizzying heights of something like, um, what's it called off Ram, Uncle Albert, Mm. Admiral Halsey, I absolutely love that. That probably is my favourite off that album. Yeah, yeah. I think it's pretty, pretty close as being you know, a perfect song for me. Yeah, it's great. And I don't know, I I hate to compare post-Beatles stuff with the Beatles because I don't mm. really think that he did kind of repeat anything that he did with the Beatles. No. But I guess I think that song is as close to that magic, you know, that Beatles yeah, kind yeah. of just, they were just effortless in mm. how bloody brilliant they were. And I think that song sort of retains that while while sounding very distinctive from that, you know, yeah, yeah,
0: you could sort of place it on Abbey road, I think, and it not be yeah. too, too weird. It's got that sort of, you never give me your money, you know, mm. multi-part song that, yeah, yeah. You know, it's, it, yeah it's, it is great. It's really, a really, really good one that John apparently liked as well. So, you know, he's not all Muzak to your ears. <laughs> one other thing I was going to say about this song is um, he does occasionally play it live now, not very often. Um, and, I've seen him a couple of times and I was lucky enough to see him at Maida Vale when he did a thing in front of like 200 people and, we, you know, which is where the picture that's our um, little logo thing comes yeah. from, took that, made a virtue of the fact that his face didn't come out in it. But um, he he played it then um, and also he played it on the like 92, 93 tour, like years and years ago. And I think I might be wrong, but I think back then he played the bass on it. Whereas when I saw him more recently, he was playing the 12 string. Um, mm. And that's sort of interesting as well. So it's one of those songs where he's changed the instrument he plays on it.
2: Yeah, Um
0: yeah. And me, as the one who loves the bass, I'd love to hear him playing the bass on that, really. You mm. know, because it's such a great... I mean, it's complicated going against the vocal. But but yeah, I just find it interesting the, the choice of a different instrument. And I think also with him as a bass player, and we'll, again, we'll get to this, but um, we're going to say a lot of that, I think. We'll get to that on another one. But <laughs> um, I don't know, live, I think he doesn't really... I mean, he's playing bass, obviously, but he doesn't really go this, to the same place as he did when he did some of his previous solo tours or like when he was doing Wings. It just sort of gets lost a bit more, partly because he only plays the Hoffner, I think. But yeah, yeah. I don't know. It's a shame because it's one of those songs I'd love to hear him playing the bass on it because it's such a great you great know, bass but, then, Yeah. But yeah, interesting. that he's, Perhaps next time he'll be playing the drums on it. I don't know. I mean, he could do it. So, <laughs> But yeah, so I guess we're giving another day a thumbs up if we're doing that sort of thing, aren't we? Because it's a great one.
1: Yeah, definitely. Absolutely. I don't think we need to fight its corner.
0: No, (laughs) it fights it for itself. You know, we don't agree with you, John. Shut up. You know, don't be so aggressive. (laughs) So that's another day. Um, Next up, we have At The Mercy. At the mercy, at
2: the mercy At the mercy of a busy road Who can handle such a heavy load At the mercy of a busy day We can think of nothing more to say If you show me love, I won't rather run
0: and hide stay and face the fear inside so at the mercy um this is we're jumping way ahead now to 2005 it was on um the chaos and creation in the backyard album that we've already referred to um i mean the, the, essentially this song i think was pretty much written to order because you you hear about like um because he was working with Nigel Godrich at this point, who's the producer who who did OK Computer with Radiohead and various Mm. other things, but with Beck and U2. And he was Mm. recommended to Paul by George Martin when I think Paul asked George if he wanted to produce another album for him. And George at that time was sort of losing his hearing. So he said, well, you know, could you suggest anyone else? And Nigel Godrich is the name Mm. that came up. And I mean, clearly it was a good collaboration because I think Chaos is one of the the best albums he's released in his entire career, let alone in recent years. Um, And it comes out. Quite high, doesn't it? In a lot of the sort of top twenty or whatever it is, but yeah, um, apparently um, you know he wrote this. Paul wrote this on a day off after working in the studio, and when he'd sort of got from Nigel the sort of idea of the atmosphere of where this album was going to go, and I think I believe he specifically pointed out to him uh, the middle eight of tug of war in years to come we'll we'll discover what what, that whole bit and nigel Mm -hmm. godridge used that as an example of why don't you do things like that anymore why don't you you know state something like that you know because he was basically i think a pretty hard taskmaster which is a hard thing to do when you're doing when you're working with paul mccartney you know how do you tell him no i don't really like that one (laughs) um which has probably been an issue throughout his entire career but yeah so so nigel sort of said to him i say nigel like i know him i don't um you know (laughs) Why didn't you try and do that sort of thing? And, and Paul went away and the song came to him that night or the next day. And because he'd sort of got the, I guess, the atmosphere of what the album was going to be. And again, the idea that you just write a song like that, you know, like on a day off, because it's so, it's so, I think it's a really lovely, concise song. The story that it tells, the very fact that it even ends with, you know, at the mercy of a busy day, I can think of nothing more to say and then it ends. It's just really good yeah. writing, isn't it? Such a, a really good idea. But yeah, it's got a really nice sort of um a stark atmosphere to it. And I think this relates to there are two I think there are two versions of Maka that are the sort of cliches that people fall to. And it's like the zany one. So like we've just been mm. talking about Ram and things like McCartney Two and that sort of thing. And then there's like sort of serious Maca, which is like mm. tug of war and chaos that sort of thing. And I think particularly as well, because of the lo- the loss of John and all those sort of things, you get to this point where I think every so often Mac is aware of the sort of status of where he is, the sort of thing he's got to live up to, you know what I mean? The sort of um, the statements that the Beatles made about like love and peace and all those sort of things. Um, and as a result, you know, you as I say you get the more serious albums and chaos is definitely a more serious album. And as a result, this is a more sort of serious song. Um, and I really, I don't know about you. I, I do really like it. Um, you, what, what do you think of it? What, what are your feelings on this song?
1: Well, I think it's quite simple, short, and sweet. Yeah. I think it's a strong. I probably call it a strong album track. You know, yeah. it feels like an album track, which yeah, is definitely. great. You know, from a very strong album. So that hmm. is that is praise. I think I agree <laughs> with you that chaos and creation is not just a high point of his, you know, 2000 onwards career, yeah. but, like, his career so far is definitely, definitely up there. Yeah, yeah. Um, I don't love it, but I like mm. it a lot. I like that it's quite... I was going to say quite dark, but I know he's sort of um, reading some interviews with him and he described that particular song as more like a dark comedy, you yes. know, like he was throwing the line at the mercy of a busy road, you know, to Heather Heather Mills, yes. who he was married to at the time. And her response was, oh, my God, yeah, to me, that is just, you know, because of, because of her yeah. accident. And I kind of had a laugh about it and, yeah. you know.
0: Well, thanks for bringing it up, Paul. Thanks for reminding <laughs> me.
1: <laughs> I guess showing how when life, you know, when life <laughs> throws you lemons, how you can kind of try and make lemonade, but you're basically powerless to stop, you mm. know, the shit that life throws at you. And I quite like that the music really, you know, effectively portrays that darker theme. Yeah, Um. Definitely. But then you've got that bit, Um. I'm trying to think, I can't think of the lyrics now. Basically, when it lifts, when it gets a little bit more positive. Oh, you know? the watch,
0: watch the universe explode? Is it that yes. bit?
1: Yes, yeah. yeah. Just after that bit. And incidentally, I, I really like that line, the end yes. of a busy um, day, at the mercy of a busy road, we can watch the universe explode. I like mm. the imagery in that. Otherwise, yeah, yeah. I think the lyrics are quite simple, but that's not necessarily a bad thing. I don't No, no. It and I think the arrangement
0: sim- as well is very simple. All of it's just quite... To the point it yeah. it lets the song do what it needs to do. And other than that bit, the universe exploding, it's all very contained and just a piano and a guitar and the drums. You know, it's very it's very sort of straightforward, isn't it?
1: Yeah, and on the um the website that you mentioned earlier, um I forget the name of it now. Uh, the Paul McCartney Project. <laughs> yeah. The project, yeah, Paul McCartney Project. Which is great, I, do I check he, it out. It is very good and I think that I like the quotes, the little quotes that they have in from Macker just talking about, you know, the inspiration or, or the experience of recording it in the studio. And I like that he describes it as it's a song that doesn't really have any meaning. He, I think the phrase mm. he used was it's at the cusp of meaning where mm. it doesn't really mean anything yeah. unless you're the listener and then you can put your own meaning to it. And then it can potentially mean everything. Mm. And I think he's very good at doing that. He, not so much in. I don't mean like in a cold play way, where their songs mm. are just so universally relatable that it's like, yeah. oh, that's another one of those. It's kind <laughs> yeah. of done with a little nod, and I, yeah. I quite like that he. Not, not always, you know. Maybe I'm amazed as an example of him being very um, open and yeah. speaking from the heart. Another one, exactly, well. yeah. And that and that's great as well. It's nice when he does that, but I, yeah, sometimes um When he does it, you can feel it's a little bit too lazy that yeah. we're going to have to try and jump to a, you know, it, it means this or it means this or it can mean this. But I quite yeah. like it. I think it works in this song. Mm. And I like that he's doing, again, simple things like repeating the word busy throughout mm. the song. I quite yeah. like that sort of mirroring throughout the song. But in places, it does suffer from what i'll call lazy lazy rhyming syndrome
0: (laughs) yeah well he's certainly he's got form for that hasn't he and certainly been yeah yeah. i think also because he's someone who just works very quickly i don't think he sees much point in overthinking a thing and if you consider the way the beatles used to work a lot of solo stuff you do it you do it you put something else in another song you know he often talks about say linda would be doing something doing a, a cooking show or something and paul would go off for like an hour or so and go, well, I'll write a song in the time that mm. she's doing that. And I think Sundays yeah. is one that came out of like that, which is again Another really powerful, emotive one, which he doesn't necessarily do so much. But yeah, I think he just doesn't like to hang around. So um, yeah. that's the impression I get. It's also an unusual song in that the, the key doesn't establish itself for quite a while. You know, you, yeah. it's, it's sort of vague as to where you are. It's all a bit, um, it's quite sort of abrupt how it comes in. It takes you straight into the sort of centre of, the emotion of what he's saying, I think, and then settles down into the key with the, the, you know, if you uh, give me love, I won't refuse or whatever it is. Um, There's also a line in it that I think is probably pretty much McCartney's ethos. Sometimes my head is hanging low, but it's time to get on with the show. I think Mm. that's probably Paul's attitude to um, difficulty. I think mainly Mm. is to just, I don't know keep going and certainly around and after that period with what happened with um the divorce with heather yeah, and stuff yeah. you know there was a heck of a lot of negative press and things going on there and for a man who's always been quite guarded about his while well, having his family in view and obviously linda was in the band he was quite sort of guarded about those sort of things and suddenly it was all thrown out in the open mm. um i and you can't help but wonder if the atmosphere of songs like this was coming from what was happening then who knows but yeah, that's very much been his attitude. And I think it's paid off because, you know, you get this many years on, people don't really think about even that story so much now. Mm. So, yeah. yeah, I think that's a very much a, a him attitude. Um, and, and a bit like Wings, you know, in that beginning of their career, getting a van and driving up the country and just turning up at university and saying, do you want Paul McCartney to play? You know, he <laughs> was at the top of his career career you know one of the that he was the most in the most successful band of all time even at that point and yet he was getting in a van and doing that probably doing some of the driving Mm. you know so (laughs) that's that's very much an example of you know get on with the show just do it let's do the next thing and maybe that's why some of the lyrics suffer I don't know but I like that attitude I wish I could be that sort of um Mm. less um I don't know self aware to the point that I you know you, you sort of very hard on yourself aren't you whereas I think he is but he just you know does the next thing just keeps going keep moving you know why stop yeah why stop and let myself just be you know like the stones or whatever the icon that just we go oh he's that person no i'll keep going i'll I'll work on something new i'll do a song for a film i'll do something you know and i think that's just very much his attitude but yeah i agree with you it's like an album track that sort of um you can see why it's on the album um but it's yeah it's not one i would really seek out i guess really. When I hear it, I like it, but it's, yeah, I think, and like you say, it's such a strong album that a song like this would probably be a lot sort of more, you'd be more aware of it on another album, whereas with this one, you just, it's sort of, it passes you by, I guess.
1: And I think, you mentioned um, the producer, Nigel Godrich. Yeah. I think you can hear his stamp over it, like, you know, he's worked Um, with Beck and Radiohead and Air. I, I really like all those bands and yeah there's some i think you can hear without Mm. it sort of you know you can still hear it's very much a a maca track but yeah you can Mm. hear that that other influence on there which i like i like that it doesn't sound like anything else Mm. (laughs) that he's done you know and i i do there's a lot there's a lot musically that i like about it there's a lot of sort of subtle like Mm. nuances throughout and Mm. i like the the fact that the piano sounds quite, I don't know, subdued in the verse that matches like completely the sort of sombre tone in the, in the song. But yeah, that, just that bit, I don't know, would we call that the chorus? The bit after Universe Explode where it kind of goes those chords. Boom, 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 boom.
2: If you take me up, I won't say no. I guess you'd rather see me into...
1: Yeah, it just lifts you out of it. You're like, ah, oh, you know? And then you're kind of dragged back down into yeah. the sort of <laughs> yeah. dirginess. But I yeah. yeah, I like I like it. I like that it doesn't really let you kind of get out. And yeah, I think mm. you're right, the self-doubt in the soul. Song, mm. or maybe what he was going through, he's not shying away from it. You kind of hear yeah. that—a little bit of a to and fro, a seesaw of self-doubt and positivity, yeah. and more optimism, and then a bit more self-doubt. And I, I like that. I,
0: it's, it's a funny thing as well, isn't it? Because I think there's something about older artists and and the want, I think, of an audience for them to be a bit more sort of um, vulnerable and honest. Mm. And like, because, you know, things like you think of like Hurt, Johnny Cash, you know, the, the fantastic, how that, the impact of that. And I think that's very much what's been played with this album. I think, you know, that's what Nigel Godridge is just maybe more trying to bring out of Paul. Paul. Um, yeah. And and so for some people, I know you hear it with a lot of fans, they say, oh, I don't really like that album. And for me, I think it's, you know, it's, it's one of the best things he's ever done. But I can also understand that it doesn't hit the sort of wings, Maca, so much. It doesn't have the mm. sort of experimental, like, I don't give a fuck about what you... I'll just do anything, you know, Yeah, that that is on, say, Memory Almost Full, which is the next album, and a lot was was recorded at the same time, which was very Wings and zany and, you know. So, but at the same time, I think sometimes it's what people want for him. They want to go, oh, come on, you know, you've got to be less... Because of the cliche of him being sort of insincere and all those sort of things, which I don't think he is. Like you say, maybe I'm amazed, such a good example of that Mm. and not that. Um, but yeah I, I think that's what they were very after with this album and it's interesting as well that Nigel Godridge specifically with a lot of the album and with his song he didn't use the tour band he used different musicians that were people he knew because he didn't mm. want Maka to be surrounded by not that the band yeah. are yes men um, but surrounded by people because he must have had this is when you produce Paul McCartney you know it doesn't really matter <laughs> what your history is and whether you've done good things you're producing someone who you know knows what he's doing for one and how do you say to him, well, no, I don't really think that's the one because the <laughs> temptation would be, yeah, it's great. I love it. You know, because you're yeah, just like, yeah. do you, you're thinking that's the guy that played on the roof or that's the guy who did whatever. <laughs> so, you know, and I think Nigel Godridge, to his credit, and he does say about, you know, he was obviously in awe of it and he was, but he just wanted to push him. And that actually was like, I think Paul says something about, you know, he didn't want me to do any songs that um, he didn't like, which was very cheeky of him, I think is what Paul said. But, you know, and, but I mean, it brought out a fantastic album. And, and I love that he obviously, pulled sort of, like I say, the two order thing went, yeah, okay, I'll do that for you. I'll see if I can bring something out of it. And brought something like this out, which is, you know, a great little song and a great performance. And, and like you say, it's not really like anything else he's released, I don't think. So, so it stands mm. out for that. And he was 62 when he wrote that one. So from 27 (laughs) to 62, there we go. But yeah, no, it's a good one. It's a good one. I do like it. I suppose it's one you might play to the person who's not sure about Paul McCartney if you want to go, oh, he's a bit more earthy than you think. I don't know. Yeah, yeah. I guess. Um, It's better than Spies uh, Spies Like Us, which will come up quite a lot, I think. (laughs) That one's (laughs) very questionable. That one, I don't even... But anyway, (laughs) so that is At The Mercy. So what have we
1: got next? Up next, again, spoilers. This is a a favourite of mine, favourite Wings one, and also, I think, favourite, yeah, favourite Macca one, and that's Arrow Through Me. I also love, uh, released in nineteen seventy nine, produced by Chris Thomas and Paul McCartney. Um, as a single, I was surprised mm. to find out it was only released in the U.S. and Canada.
0: Yeah, I saw and that, and it didn't. Yeah.
1: yeah, it didn't do brilliantly. I think it got to like number twenty nine in the yeah twenty nine. I
0: think twenty seven in in Canada.
1: It's like what
0: you say, not brilliantly, <laughs> but you go. If I got a number 29 hit in the US, I'd I'd be like, that's probably, I'll retire now. I'm happy with that. I
1: think, yeah, I'd be happy with just getting in the top 100, I think. (laughs)
0: Yeah, exactly, definitely, yeah. Um, But yeah, I mean, like you are saying, and again, this is one of my favourites, absolute favourites. I love this song. Mm. Listening to it again today, just to, you know, re-prepare myself for this, it's just, you sort of groove away with it. It's It's such... it's such a good song. It's such a good vocal performance. Uh, we've talked about mm-hmm. this before privately, but um, I know some people like Back to the Egg, some people really don't, and Macca's quite down on it. But for me, it's one of the best, and it's probably my favourite period for his voice. Yeah. Um, the sort of raspy. Yeah. Yeah, it's, a, it's such, a, such a great vocal performance. Um, but, I
1: also love the B-side, Old oh, Sir, which, yes. you know, and that's a B-side. That's what he chose as the B-side, and that yeah, yeah, is I just... Know. A fantastic Ridiculous. song as well.
0: Yeah, yeah. And, and, and yeah, it's really got like, at this point, because Wings were going through a new lineup, they had Lawrence Juba, didn't they, and Steve Holly. They'd had, mm. you know, and, and it was obviously right at the end of the career, but it was a more sort of rock feel, wasn't it? I think because the album prior yeah. to that, London Town, is quite sort of folky. Um, folky, yeah. They went in with a bit. And I guess if you think 1979, you've got punk happening around that time. You've got the yeah. slightly sort of more stark fashion of, you know, like sparks and things, those sort of things, the late <laughs> 70s into the early 80s. Mm-hmm. And if you've seen, I don't know if you've seen the, the video of this song, um, which is in the yeah. sort of Back to the Egg film, they're all, I, I watched it again today, and like, even Macca's hair, it's quite sort of, do you know what I mean? It is very <laughs> 1979. It's got that slightly sort of, um, I don't know how to describe it, sort of um, almost like business-like sort of stern, sort of, you know, it's yeah. no longer the glam stuff. It's quite sort of, I don't know how, to, it's, it's before the 80s became horrific isn't it? It's got that sort of like, they look cool. um, But although it does make me laugh, I don't know how familiar you are with the film Spinal Tap. But um, in in this video, they're all playing the keyboard basically apart from the drums, which I just find amusing. It's just like everyone's like in Big Bottom in Spinal Tap where they're all playing the bass. You know, it's just like, um, it's just like, do we need that many keyboards? I don't know. But, um, but yeah, it's, it's, it's a great song and and it's just, and again, sort of effortless, isn't it? It's just the, it's a lovely image, you know, the, Ooh baby, you couldn't have done a worse thing to me if you'd taken an arrow and run it right through me. Which is such a I don't know, it's is I like that it's like a relaxed like vocal line, isn't it? It's just it's a real mm. Again, if you're knocking Paul for his lyrics, I don't I, how do you come up with a line that sounds that sort of um do you know what I mean? Sort of cool, sort of relaxed with cool, the way you state it. Yeah. yeah, it's not it it's yeah, it's interesting and I think that I don't I don't know if you heard about this one as well. Um because it was on um, Pure McCartney, which is like the sort of more recent Greatest Hits mm-hmm. sort of mixed yeah. one. And I know the sort of story with that, apparently, was they got people in his office to just suggest to him songs that they liked, so as well as the obvious ones. And this one mm. got through. Um, and apparently he played it to the drummer, Abe Laborial Jr., who's like his tour drummer now, and said, oh, listen to this one. It's great. So he'd obviously forgotten it. And he just, yeah. he, I mean, I don't know. <laughs> it was a single, I mean, admittedly in Canada and the US, but how do you, i mean again if i wrote that song i wouldn't forget it i'd be it, it would no, i'd be quite exactly. proud of it but the idea that i mean i know he's got a long career and he smoked a lot of weed but the idea that you forget you know someone plays it in your <laughs> office and go oh this one's good i'll play it to my drummer you know such a bizarre idea you know and so maybe when he's so negative about back to the egg which he is um and i yeah. think probably partly because he was sort of losing the in- interest in wings at that point and then obviously there was the big japan drug bust um But it's a shame. I mean, I know it's not got singles on it as such. The album itself, but it's such a. I I think it's a really. It really stands up that album. I think it's got a lot going on in it. It's got a lot of edge to it. It's got some of his best vocals in it. Um, Yeah, and it's it's just different
1: to to anything that they had done before and that he had done before. And you know, and I I guess for him at that time, or for Wings at that time, twenty nine. You know, in the in the billboards. Yeah. Uh, top 100 was quite a low chart position for him. Yeah, what and I you wonder, it, you know, is that? Do you think is it because people are still measuring him against the stuff that he did with the Beatles? You know, and it sounds yeah. completely different to anything that the Beatles had ever done. I mean, we don't know if 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 they had carried on.
0: Mm, it's true. <laughs>
1: imagine yeah. Beatles in the eighties. I mean, is that too <laughs> horrific to imagine, or w- or would it have been? Would have been well, like this, you know. Yeah,
0: who knows? And and that's, I, but the funny thing you say because like if, again, if you consider and this is a, a mark of how versatile he is and how many different things he does. The year before this, Mull of Kintyre was the big single that was mm. the biggest selling single for a very long time and the longest at number one until until Band Aid came around, I think. But yeah. I mean, if you put a, like a, a Scottish folk song with bagpipes, which I know, which I know <laughs> failed in America but was very big in Canada and yeah, huge in the yeah. UK. And then, like, the next year, you're releasing Arrow Through Me, this sort of soul thing. I mean, maybe that's partly why sometimes some of his stuff doesn't chart so well, even if it's good. Maka makes... he has got He's not afraid to do any style, and he does most mm. of them really naturally, I think. And his voice, yeah. like, through the Beatles, through the 70s, and until very recently, can do lots of different things. You know, it can be soul, it can be... Um, sweet. It can be, you know, rock, like Old, old Siamsa, you know, good example. Right yeah. At top of his range. And maybe as a fan, you know, if you think about how the Beatles worked as a singles act more than their album stuff, a lot of it is, you know, more straightforward, isn't it? The Beatles singles, even later on, like mm. Hello Goodbye, are sort of pop still for the most part. Yeah. Um, so how do you deal with it when you go, right, there's this sort of Scottish waltz thing, and then there's this, like, you know, blue-eyed <laughs> soul thing, and then... You know, and then there's Mary had a little lamb, or something. they're all so very different. You're like, I don't really know mm. what I'm buying here. <laughs> you know, yeah. But, yeah. so maybe that's it. I don't know, but but for the people who delve into it, I mean, it's a great song. It's such, it's such a good song. Uh, you know, it's it's one I never tire of. You know, no, it, me it, too. i yeah, always go back to it.
1: I think I just love it. I love I love the way you know the chorus builds and then the verses no. kind of bring you back down again it's that push pull thing yeah. and then that horn break yes. you know so good You know, and you could, you, know, you could imagine, like, at the time, Stevie Wonder doing something like that would have been so well yeah, yeah. received. Yeah. Yes. And again, you just kind of think it's because it's Macca. Like, yeah. you can't do that. No, yeah, you, yeah. you know. <laughs>
0: yeah, no, exactly,
1: yeah. Um, On his voice, I know people have said, you know, that he, he was showing some vocal decline. I don't think he was. I think that that, that was a completely, you know stylized, you know, a the conscious choice. I, I want to make yeah, it more gritty, choice. more rough, more yeah. yeah, definitely. I because the fact that he then glides into this falsetto, you know, effortless uh, effortlessly mm. yeah, yeah. in as he's coming into the chorus, mm. um, you know, that you can hear that, that he's still got his he's still got it. He's just oh, yeah. doing that that gritty, rocky, I, I don't know, yeah. I it's, it's, I like what he does there. It's sort of
0: throaty, isn't it? And and it, it, I think there's a lot of examples on Back to the Egg of him really knowing how to use his voice as an instrument, you know, um, mm. from things like Million Miles, which is like the sort of soul. Well, so I don't know if you call it soul thing, but, you know, really great vocal performance. Um, yeah, he know and Baby's Request, you know, they're all very different stylistically. Old they, they, he he finds his way into that so easily. He just knows what to do with his voice and he's got absolute mm. control of it so yeah I, I think it like you say it's a stylistic choice it, it, you know maybe you wouldn't know it was him perhaps if you mm. heard that song yeah. on the radio you know and and, and yeah I, the thing about the brass thing I was thinking about that and because it's brass and it's got keys on it and it's um sort of matching the riff and it's got Howie yeah. Casey on it who's the one of the brass players who like played the solo on Bluebird and all those sort of things and been around since the 60s with him but it's also quite like coming up. I hadn't really realised before, but the sort of brass figure is quite like the stuff going on in coming up, which is obviously around that same time, seventy nine eighty. So I'd never really mm. noticed that before, but it's got that feel. Um, yeah. You know, yeah, I, I guess that's something that he was going for at that point. And because he had the brass section touring with him on that tour, the 79 tour, like the one he did, uh, the Wings Over, uh, Over America one. So he was obviously you know, maybe he wrote it with that in mind. Maybe he wrote it thinking, well, I've got a brass section, I'll use them, you know. Um, And I think he did play this on that tours, the tours they were doing around then. So,
1: you know. Yeah, I did. Yeah, I found it. Yeah, but Mm. I mean, he said, and again, on the Paul McCartney Project website, I think I read this, um, that it was one of these ones, he kind of, you know, I mean, it, it, it's underappreciated even by him. He hasn't yeah. listened to it or even thought about it since yeah. he was in the studio recording it or promoting it. But, yeah. You know, however many concerts they played in it in 1979.
0: Yeah. Probably not many.
1: How, how can you, you know, how can you forget about that song? <laughs> yeah. And, you know, I think it was. Uh, I might have not been that website actually. Um, I think I was reading a, an interview 2016. Um, Rolling Stone, I think, in which he just describes it as this, like, oh, yeah, that song. Yeah, Mm. I haven't really thought about it since in the studio, but uh, it's a funky Mm. little thing. Yeah. (laughs) That's pretty, that's what That's it.
0: Bastard. Yeah, (laughs) Yeah. you know, it's
1: just... Have you heard, I've I've read a few, I think this is more like fans on forums coming up with, um, you know, their own theories, but have you heard Mm. the theory that it was a song that was written about John?
0: I haven't heard it about this one. I know, I know Call Me Back Again is another one, they say. Mm. Yeah, and you start going with that. I mean, it's like, well, yeah, but, you know, he's got a lot of other people in his life, including his wife at the time and his friends yeah. and his whatever. So the idea that everything is going to be about that person, yeah. is, it's a bit tabloid, isn't it? It's a bit it is simplistic a bit. view. I mean, it could be. It could be, but...
1: I can't I hear know. it myself. No. no. I
0: you could, I think, and by that stage, I think they were getting closer to being more sort of mm. friendly again. And I know it's quite good. There's a book, um, oh, I forget what it's called. It's a John Lennon sort of compendium of letters and it's written by um, the same person, well, collated by the same person who wrote the official Beatles biography, whose name, Hunter Davis. Um, and there's like lots of, this is when John was living in New York um, and there's like shopping lists and stuff in there. And there's one shopping list that he gave his like assistant and it was like, mm. you know, something like, I don't know, like milk, sugar, Back to the Egg by Wings, and it's like something else. So there's like a nice story of he had it on his shopping <laughs> list. He, he was still obviously checking in. They were checking in on yeah. each other, um, which I think is quite cool. So yeah, okay, maybe they are thinking about each other a bit. But I, I don't really hear it on this song. I don't think, you know, it's just, no. it's just, you know, not everything's going to be about John, I don't think. <laughs>
1: One, I think know. he's been quite quite open about the ones that mm. have touched upon that as well, is not he? Yeah. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's a little bit of a trivia. I, I was um, interested to to find out that it was um, the main theme of the movie, Oh, Heavenly Dog, starring oh, Jeff that... Chase. Did you know that? <laughs> that
0: classic. <laughs> the, yeah.
1: just... I do actually remember seeing that film. Oh, really? I've not seen it. Don't, don't remember the song. I mean, no. I must have been about eight, seven or eight <laughs> when I saw it. Yeah. And it was also sampled by, and I'm going to get the pronunciation wrong, Arika uh, Badu?
0: Yes, yeah. On yeah. her
1: song Gone Baby Don't Be Long in 2010. Apparently she did like this big Twitter campaign mm. to get it approved and she was getting right. sort of celeb friends of hers on Twitter. <laughs> I think like Levy Cra- Lenny Kravitz was one of them to yeah. just retweet to get Mac and... Le- and Levy Levi Kranitz giving... as well. he's <laughs> <Yeah.
0: laughs> lesser known brothers yes.
1: to <laughs> <laughs> And yeah, you know, it, other than that, it's kind of just mm. disappeared and being forgotten but not by us obviously. no not by us not by the back to
0: the egg <laughs> fans but like us is, is it a bit like i suppose as well you know like i remember when he did his sort of tour and i think it was 2002 and he started playing getting better live and he introduced it by saying you know a lot of songs you just play in the studio you get the take right and then you move on uh, this mm. is one of those never played it live we're going to do it now and i suppose that's yeah. why he forgets them because you if you're writing to make a record and you're not even really thinking yeah. about whether you're going to gig or if you're not touring like the Beatles were then, yeah. It, I guess it served its purpose. You've you've sung it, you've recorded it. It's a track on the album. Served its purpose. I do something else. And okay, he did play it on that tour, which is a tour I would have loved to have seen. I re- you know, mm. the, and the bootlegs you get of it. There's like Wings' last flight. I think it is. It's all the songs that we love that we're going to talk about. But and it's our favorite sort of hymn vocal. I would have loved to have seen that. I would, you know, it would have been a really good thing, but yeah, so it's a great song that if you don't know it, check it out. Cause it's a good one.
1: Okay. So another thumbs up. Yes. <laughs> we need to find We need to find something else to say. I'm not, I'm not happy yeah. with thumbs up. All,
0: all this, yeah. No, it's too cliche. <laughs> Maca as well. Isn't it? It is, a, it is, yeah. Exactly. We just feed, we're feeding the fire of the sort of, yeah, we're just going to do podcasts all about the frog song and nothing else. But, <laughs> but yeah, we'll think of something
1: else. We'll think of something else. Something along the lines of being amazed or, or, yeah. or not amazed. Something, something yeah. along there. There's something in that. Yeah, sure. we'll, we'll work on it. We'll workshop it. We'll, we'll work get our
0: team in <laughs> and they'll, they'll get that sorted for us. We don't do those sort of things. We just turn up and do the important stuff. Um, we do. There is no team. It's just us. Um, <laughs> clearly. <laughs> it's now time to skip to part two of this episode of the McCartney McGowan.